From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox president Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF. It's in the Scottish government's interest, not just to protect, obviously, public services, but also to show further divergence from the rest of the UK. It does show the sort of strain that the market is under this winter. The other factor playing into all this is Brexit. Neither political party will even contemplate relaxing EU migration. This is the elephant in the room, isn't it? Hello, you're listening to Bloomberg UK Politics. I'm Caroline Hepke. I'm Lizzie Burden. And I'm Ewan Potts. We're going to start the show today on a nice piece from our UK political reporter, Kitty Donaldson. I don't know if you've read this, guys, or I hope you have. Has <laughs> the Brexit deal on Northern Ireland killed Boris Johnson's chances of a comeback? According to a lot of Tory MPs that Kitty's spoken to, the answer is, frankly, uh, yes. Uh, one Tory MP says that Boris Johnson's stock has never been uh, lower in the parliamentary party. And one joked it was time to sell stocks in Johnson. And another said that the comeback is now dead in the water. He's not had a good couple of weeks, has he? I like that, speaking our language in stocks. He is a bit of a laughing stock among Tory MPs at this point. But I was speaking to a former Boris Johnson spad yesterday at a conference I was hosting. And I have to say, among the true believers, the hope never dies. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I think I agree with you on that front. I mean, down but not out, surely. And yes, I always read Kitty Donaldson's pieces, of course. Because she uh, is so plugged in uh, to those MPs, to the grassroots of the MPs, to the WhatsApp chats. And she did the big sit down with Boris Johnson when he was prime minister on the train. She peppered him with questions, um, you know, throughout, as far as I remember, when he was prime minister. So she's always one to listen to. Look, surely that can't be it. Or is this really such a big win, do we think, for Rishi Sunak, the Northern Ireland Protocol, the Windsor framework? Well, I have to say, what is Boris Johnson going to say when he intervenes? That's the big question. He's going to intervene at some stage. Yeah, I mean, I think you should never write him off, should you? And let's remember, it's two months now until a big set of local elections, which the Tories, it seems unlikely, are going to do well. That is not really good for the, the PM. And then, of course, there is the general election. And assuming that the Tories don't do well in the general election, that's another opportunity, is it? And I know a, a few Tory MPs who really hold a candle for Boris Johnson would like him to make a comeback after the general election. So you should never, ever write him off. No, um, absolutely. Uh, But then I also want to kind of veer into this sweet spot for us, which is the money, the donations and what donors are giving. Um, We've had out actually some new data, which is quite fascinating, Ewan. Yeah, really interesting. This is the quarterly data from the Electoral Commission. Labour Party raised £7.2 million in the final three months of last year. That was 50% more than the Tories. 
the rush of cash now it's not crossing not the aisle but <laughs> yeah, from one side to the other perhaps now it's not the first time that the t- labor has raised more than the tories but generally the tories raise more but when uh, elections are coming around it's really interesting to look at where the money's going very bloomberg to uh, to follow the money there was a 2 million pound donation from david sainsbury no no uh, um uh, pretty clear where he raised got his money from uh, he's been a major do- donor to labor before but he stepped back during jeremy corbyn's leadership it's it's about um, how difficult it is to un- understand where the money is coming from. And also, I have to say that we make quite a big deal of the money going into politics in the UK just pales into insignificance when you look at mm. the United States. But also, I discovered recently, Nigeria, with the elections in Nigeria, apparently vast sums of money also on election campaigning in that country. Yeah, well, hopefully our elections going to be slightly better organised than their one. They had some, yeah, some problems <laughs> with voting machines, getting them to the right location. Yeah. yeah, another interesting stat actually from the numbers. In 2021, the Tories raised double. This is across the whole of 2021. They raised twice as much uh, as Labour. So you can really see how towards the end of last year, the, 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 the sea of money has really shifted. Although I would also caveat that these numbers do jump around quarter on quarter. So I think we need to watch the next quarter as well. Okay, well, sticking with the numbers, let's do what more of what we do best here. You might have heard of ARM before. You might not have heard of them, but they are a big deal here in the UK. Caroline, you've been looking into this one. Yeah, absolutely. So um, we've had out a Bloomberg scoop this morning that basically ARM, which is this chip design business that came out of Cambridge, that went public in the 90s, that was listed as a FTSE 100 business, that this company that was then bought by SoftBank out of Japan is not going to list in London. It is going to go to the US. This was the thing that British politicians really did not want to happen. The government reportedly was sort of lobbying, were asking for arm to either list in London or to have a secondary listing in London. I mean, why is this important? This is basically the gold standard of British innovation. And it was controversial that it was uh, bought uh, by Masayoshi Son's SoftBank back in 2016. There was this promise of making, of giving more jobs, of creating more jobs in the UK. And in fact, Arm stayed, remained in Cambridge where it was founded. Um, but now I think it is really quite a a blow, maybe not a shock, not a surprise, but it is really a disappointment that you know we hear so much about tech, tech innovation, innovative businesses listing in London, and it has it is not happening according to our report. Yeah, I really think this is quite a nasty blow for not so much for UK PLC PLC because as you say, it's still based in Cambridge and it's still doing the same stuff, but it's mm-hmm. a blow for the city of London because London used to be the obvious place to list your company, and now there's been a whole string of companies saying we're just going to not going to go to London, we're going to go straight to uh, New York and Arm is a massive deal. It is the biggest uh, tech company in the country, and they're deciding to list their shares in New York, uh, and that is that is really bad for the city. And it's also quite politically embarrassing as well because the government has been lobbying lobbying heavily on this. Yes, they have. But hang on a second. Masayoshi Son always said that he was looking to the US, and the fact of the matter is that the valuations of companies, i.e., the money that they raise by launching shares, you know, by getting investors. That is much bigger in the US for similar types of businesses. So there's just more cash available in America. Masayoshi-san made no uh, secret of this. And also we had three prime ministers in a year last year. And that kind of political uncertainty, obviously, well, according to our reporting, kind of hampered it. But I was speaking to one of the founders of ARM. 
And so that was the kind of added value. I had this big conversation um, with one of these incredibly smart people, um, Jamie Urquhart, who was one of the original founders. There were there were about a dozen actually of them in all, but he was probably one of the most important. He actually took the business public. And so I asked him about the backdrop for tech firms in post-Brexit Britain. I want you to have a listen to, to what he had to say. He wasn't very hopeful. The government has talked about doing these things for a large uh, a length of time. I chaired a report uh, some time ago to government and um, quite frankly was underwhelmed by the lack of desire to get involved. I think that that was appalling. Some of it might be that a lot of the, the people in power in the government don't have a, a business background, they don't have a tech background. Um, I, I, work, I first came to Cambridge in 1984, auspicious, uh, and I worked for Plessy before that. Plessy were a world leader in semiconductors. They, at the same time as Texas Instruments developed a, a, an integrated a transistor, they did it as well, and they did it before TI had patented it. So they were absolutely world leaders. The technology I was working on when I left, I had to go two steps back with what was available um, from uh, America, which was where Acorn got their, uh, their uh, fabrication from. But um, there's been very little um, continuity, there's been very little of uh, strategy. And even now, we're waiting for the government to, to come out with a, a semiconductor strategy. And the problem is, it doesn't take that much to, to start looking forward and thinking about what you're going to do. But you've got to do it, uh, and you've got to then help uh, people do it. The Americans, Europe, the rest of Europe, um, Japan, China, there's government investment in what's going forward. And some of this is geopolitical in terms of where you build chips and such like. There's very little here in the UK and the things we are worried about, the Chinese already own them. And um, I think the government are just either unwilling to grasp the nettle or maybe they've got way too many things to do and aren't thinking about it. Do you have any hope that a Labour government might be different? You know, Keir Starmer's laying out economic plans, the beginning of economic plans for what could well be a general election within 18 months, two years, and there could be a new Labour government. I mean, any hope that there is a better industrial tech science strategy from a new government? Interestingly enough, you know, Tony Blair um, actually was a positive... Uh, I, I'm less concerned about the politics than the doing, and are they doing things. So could I see a Labour government doing something? Uh, they talk about doing something, and I think they could do something. Um, and Frankly, it couldn't be any worse than it is at the moment. Okay, that's not terribly heartening. No, uh, it's I. I believe in things when I see them starting to happen. You build trust by seeing activity. So it's not that I don't think they want to do it, uh, but you ask me a reasonable question: Could they do it? They could do it, but let's see some evidence. 
So Jamie Urquhart there, one of the founders of ARM, one of really the top flight uh, bits of um, engineering, of electronics engineering that the UK has ever produced. You've got to remember that the technology that ARM still makes is in pretty much every cell phone everywhere in the world, but it's also in a lot of other things in cars. And and so, yes, it, it potentially is quite a big blow that this ARM listing is, is going to the US. But Jamie Urquhart, Urquhart was really very, very interesting. I enjoyed the bit when he uh, made the slap noise because oh, he yes. was just really exasperated that the government needs to do more. He was. He was he was frustrated and also because he's so deeply involved in training other sorts of entrepreneurs, especially kind of tech and science innovators in Britain that the government has spent years talking about focusing on as the future for Britain. So, you know, to understand that this kind of leading light is that annoyed, I think is quite important. Mm, yeah, it wasn't a massive endorsement of Labour, was it? But he was saying that, no. well, he said it couldn't be any worse than it is at the moment. So that is something of an endorsement but also he did want to say look it's not about politics it's about doing his emphasis is not about you know which political leader is in charge he was talking about you know investment strategy really thinking about this this stuff for the uk from silicon valley to wall street the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage but what will the next phase of ai adoption look like which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox president Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox president Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF. Now, three quarters of women paying for childcare in the UK say that it doesn't make financial sense for them to work. This is according to a new report out today. It really sparks concerns about a labour market that is already under strain. For a fifth of parents, childcare costs, uh, according to them, account for more than half of their total uh, household income. Yeah. It's staggering. The numbers are outrageous. Uh, Childcare costs in the UK are amongst the highest in OECD countries. Now, this um, report and the actual figures comes from quite a well-known organisation, which is Pregnant Then Screwed. This is Jolie Brearley. You know, she can make quite a splash and, and because of the charity that she set up. And I think this um, really has done. Uh, Bloomberg's been reporting about it. Olivia Konoti Uhulu has written up a full kind of piece about it. 
And I've been saying for quite some time that I think this is the oncoming big political fight, the one of the key general election issues that's going to come. The CBI, we're talking about it in February. Lizzie, you and I have talked about it quite a lot. And it's about kind of productivity in the UK being able to get to work. Yeah, it's not just productivity, though. I mean, it's there's the growth story. There's the tightness in the labour market and there's the gender pay gap. So someone who I think is really interesting on this is Michael Saunders, the most recently departed member of the mm. Bank of England's Monetary Policy Committee. He's now a senior economic advisor at Oxford Economics. And in a note about growth, one of his big points was on childcare. Yeah, which I think is really surprising, right? Because this is a male economist, not somebody that I might have thought actually as a former MPC member, a former kind of uh, policymaker at the Bank of England would really have been thinking about in terms of childcare. So we are, we asked him a bit about that. Didn't Change we? comes from allies, Caroline, and the things that he says that need to happen are increase free childcare, target mm. it at low income households, and maybe increase the ratio of children to staff because we're behind on that in the UK. I think it'll be fascinating in the next election to see what the uh, what the retail offer is, to use that horrible expression, from uh, Labour and the Conservatives. <laughs> Caroline's pulling a face at me. This is a vote winner. Come on. <laughs> yes, of course. I think it's a vote winner. But I wonder why it wasn't uh, big on the, in the manifestos in the last two elections, because it really wasn't a big thing, was it? So why are we suddenly talking about this when it, when we weren't talking about well, it last time? you know why? It, it's not that it, it did feature. In Corbyn's manifesto, I think it featured this idea of giving more f- free childcare, although it's debatable how free exactly it really is but certainly increasing childcare it is the cost that's why nobody wants to talk about Mm. it It it's the same as the social care issue this has been a problem for at least a decade yeah look this is the same thing I've been asking myself when it's so obvious politically and economically why don't we do it and that's the very question that we asked Michael Saunders I suspect that perhaps by accident we've slipped into a place in which high childcare costs are acting as a serious disincentive for women to stay in the workforce and to progress in the workforce. I don't think the government intended that to be the outcome. I just think that by accident, this is where we've ended up. But here we are, and let's try to fix it. You know, the answer's relatively straightforward. We want to extend the, child, the uh, free childcare costs for the threes and four-year-olds to a longer spell, but also to extend it to the one and two year olds. Okay, we'll get on to whether it is really free at the point of delivery or not. I think that's an important question. But look, Michael, how much would a UK government have to spend then on childcare to significantly boost productivity? So the CBI have come up with some useful proposals, which they say would cost between eight and nine billion as the upfront cost. And that would extend uh, free childcare to parents with children of one and two year olds and increase the amount that people with um, children of three and four can take. I have to stress though, the net cost would probably be much less than that over time. If childcare is cheaper, more women are likely to work. The share of women who work in the UK is relatively low compared to other advanced economies between the ages of 35 and 45. Um, If more of those women were to be working, they would pay more tax. That, over time, would offset a substantial part of that upfront cost of cheaper childcare. So then would that also help to close the persistently wide UK gender pay gap? Yes, it would. Um, So if if you look at how the UK underperforms compared compared to other advanced economies, as I said, a relatively low share of women aged between 35 and 45 are in work. 
among those who are in work, a relatively low share are in full-time work. And then career progression gets hindered. As you said, the gender pay gap is relatively wide. I think the high costs of childcare in the UK are part of the problem for all of those issues. Mm. The pandemic hit the nursery sector incredibly badly. So too did Brexit. Where do we get the workers from in order to deliver this? You know, it's a fair question. Um, It may be that we have to look at um, having increased qualifications, increased skill requirements for nurseries, but also perhaps a slightly less tight childcare ratio. So the part of the reason, a part of the reason why childcare costs are so high in the UK is that the child to staff ratios are relatively tight in the UK. Um, so most other countries, you have a slightly greater numbers of children per adult. That goes along often with having slightly better qualified staff but you end up with a slightly less expensive mix. And I think that might be part of the answer. So let's say that the government followed the CBI's recommendation, pumped eight to nine billion pounds into childcare. How long do you think it would take for that to have a significant effect on growth to the point that the OBR, the Office for Budget Responsibility, would lift its growth forecasts? Oh, you might not see the effect in a month or two, or even in a quarter or two. But the OBR, in doing its fiscal forecasts, looks ahead five years. And I think you'd be reasonably confident that you'd see some effects over that time frame. And probably the full effects as they come through, as I said, you would see most, I mean, it may even be all of the costs would be covered by higher female participation, greater career progression, and more women being able to work full-time rather than part-time, better Mm -hmm. paid jobs, better living standards for themselves, and also, helpful side effect, paying more tax to the Treasury. The founder of Pregnant Then Screwed that came up with this research, um, Brearley, says that we can't afford not to do anything about this. Do you agree with her? Well, we can stumble on as we are. Um, I don't think it's a very sensible way to approach things. You know, we've got a system which, by limiting the ability of women to work and progress in the workforce, is both bad for the individual's concerns, but also there's a net cost to society. Surely we can do better than that. This is a problem, though, you know, that that parents in the UK have known about and, and been really impaired by for at least a decade. I'm sort of curious to understand why you care about this particular issue. I care more broadly about the question of why is the UK economy doing so badly? We've gone from being a fast growth economy to a low growth economy. Part of that reflects issues such as Brexit, low public investment, but childcare, expensive childcare costs hindering female participation and the ability of women to progress in the workforce is part of the answer. So if we want to get the economy out of this low growth rut, which means the living standards barely rise from year to year, then we have to tackle these supply side problems. Some of them are complex and knotty, but actually the issue of childcare costs is relatively straightforward once you get down to the detail. Okay, Michael, thinking more broadly about the next budget, what's the single biggest thing that the Chancellor Jeremy Hunt could do to grow the economy? Well, obviously, the easiest thing would be to have closer trade links with the EU. That would generate growth and it wouldn't have any fiscal cost or very little fiscal cost to the government. Um, Let's put that to one side for the moment because 
I doubt if that's going to be the centerpiece. Childcare costs, um, increased emphasis on science and technology in schools and universities, higher public investments, uh, reform of the planning system. I think those would be four key areas where you would hope that he will make progress. I have to say, I'm not hugely optimistic that he's going to do anything about it. And I suspect that what will happen is we will end up still stuck in this low growth rut, um, which we've been in for, well, a decade now. So that was Michael Saunders, former Bank of England policymaker and now a senior economic advisor at Oxford Economics. Childcare really proving to be an issue that could be central at the next election. The Treasury mulling expanding free childcare for one and two year olds and the opposition Labour Party pledging to overhaul the system if it wins power. Yeah, absolutely. I, I still think that the question about how are we going to get the right number of people into uh, care, early years, nursery settings and so on is very difficult. But we know Michael Saunders' position on Brexit. Yes, but interestingly, he says that if we were to have closer ties with the EU, that would have a bigger impact on growth, bigger than childcare. OK, really interesting. Right. Uh, what do we have to think about, though, other than this childcare issue, Ewan? Yeah, well, last uh, night, the first uh, SNP hustings began. We had the leadership election hustings kicking off in Cumbernaud. It was live streamed on STV News, but uh, Politico reports that it was only after an outcry at attempts to hold it behind closed doors. That's something I'm going to look forward to speaking about on the programme uh, next week. Voting starts on the 13th of March, that is just under two weeks away, and goes through to to the 27th. Oh, hang on, you have to tell me the runners and riders. Am I going to put you on the spot with the <laughs> you SNP are going to put me on the spot. runners and uh, Hamza Yusuf uh, is the favourite. Kate uh, Forbes. Kate Forbes. Still? Okay. She's yes, not the favourite, she's in there. Mm-hmm. And Ash Reagan. Of I course. did get it in the end. It was, it was in my head. SNP, uh, yeah, that's certainly one to watch in terms of uh, the leadership hustings and what comes next, who ends up becoming First Minister of Scotland. Uh, Also, of course, we'll be back again with much more tomorrow. That's all we've got time for, really, for today. If you do like the programme, though, don't forget to subscribe. Give it five stars so other people can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Lizzie Byrne does a mean Twitter thread, so of course you've got to have a look at that, too. (laughs) This episode was produced by James Walcock and Marufal Hussain was on Sounds. I'm Ewan Potts. I'm Lizzie Burden. And I'm Caroline Hepkep. We'll be back same time tomorrow for more. This is Bloomberg. Bloomberg UK Politics. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox President Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF.